well. All right. So our study today starts with this question. Uh, Do you remember the first day of something in your life that became really important moving forward? Okay. Do you remember the first day of something in your life that became really important moving forward? Maybe that was your first day of school at a certain school. Maybe that was your first day at work at a new job. Uh, Maybe that was your first day moving to a new community. Uh, But I can tell you which one jumped into my mind uh, first and foremost, and that was learning to park in the parking garages here in D.C. All right, for some of you, you've made the move here, and uh, I moved, and Autumn, I moved into uh, 100 Capital Yards over here, and uh, loved the experience, and I'll never forget, in the sales office, uh, the sales director looked at us, and she goes, hey, I got good news, a parking spot has opened up for you, and we were like, there aren't just enough parking spots, you were moving here, we don't know, there aren't just enough parking spots, she goes, no, no, one spot is open, so you're going to be able to park on P4, or whatever it was, on the very, very bottom floor, and she goes, and you're going to get this spot. And we said, is it a good spot? And she goes, no. She said, it's the worst spot in the whole building. She goes, but it's yours. And that's what's so exciting. And so sure enough, we go down there. It's on the base floor. There is a a, a concrete pillar and the concrete wall right there, uh, uh, walling off this little spot. And when Autumn and I left uh, uh, Texas to move here, we got rid of our two cars and downsized to one car. But that one car, because we had three kids, our kids were four, two, and two months old when we moved here. So three car seats. So you have to get to get three car seats in. We did the captain's chair. So we have this Tahoe with captain's chairs uh, instead of having the deal because you have to climb in and out. Now with four kids, we have four car seats at different points. All that to say, it's a big car. Itty bitty living space. All right, little spot for us to try to park that thing. And I'll never forget, we pull into the parking lot for the first time, and there's the spot in the corner. And I'm just sitting in the car idling, and Autumn looks at me and she goes, What are you going to do? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know. And so then, about that time, I mean, just like clockwork, the Lord sent a messenger. All right, it was somebody in a Dodge Durango. You know, Dodge Durangos? Somebody in Dodge Durango who had another spot against the wall pulls up, and the basic is bumping so you can tell they're just really really loose and the person drives up looks at me throws up the deuces and then backs into the spot I mean with like a surgical way I mean you can tell they had parked in that spot so many times they were loose listened to music and they backed into the spot and all of a sudden I was like I have a template all right, for how this can be done I thank God for that template and so I do about a hundred point turn to get in there for the very first time make it through without scraping the windows or anything and the first time I really had forgotten about this. I think I had Autumn pull the windows of the mirrors in because I was so afraid that I was going to scrape them. And I'm telling you, we finally get into that spot. It takes about 30 minutes, but I get pulled into that parking spot for the very first time. Fast forward a year and a half later, I have parked in that spot every single day for a year and a half. And guess what happens? There was a beautiful day where I'm about to pull into my parking spot and I see a brand new family trying to figure out how they're going to park in that wicked little parking garage spot. And you know what I did? I turned up the base, threw up the deuces, and backed into that spot. All right? Now, I'm just telling you, the first time is so memorable because you don't have anything to compare it to, right? It's why that first day is so special. Every emotion, every memory, you hold on to it because, again, it's the first time that you navigate that. If we look at Philippians chapter 1, Paul is going to say here about the first day that he connects with the church of Philippi. And again, the same way that I feel about that parking spot, Paul comes and says, man, that first day we met you guys was so special.
special. It's given me joy even now. Look with me, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. And again, we usually look at this as Paul giving thanks for friendship. I want you to focus on this first day portion of this passage today. Here's what it says. Paul says, I thank God every time I remember you, church at Philippi. In all my prayers for you, I always long for you. I pray with joy. Look at this. Because of your partnership in the gospel, from the first day, circle, highlight, and underline from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, for whether I'm in chains, defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. Stop right there for just a minute. The friendship is the focus of the passage. But that first day portion is so powerful because in Acts chapter 16, we actually get the play-by-play of what happened on that first day. What was it that Paul looks back on and says, man, from day one, God has been doing something so powerful through our friendship. It even brings me great joy when I think about what he did day one all the way up until what he's doing right now. If you're taking notes, write this down. Every disciple has an origin story. It's called your testimony. Say it again. Every disciple has an origin story. It's called your testimony. And today, we are going to look at the testimony of a powerful, awesome woman of God that was used to found the church at Philippi, and her name is Lydia. Uh, Lydia is an absolute hero of the faith. And just a little side note here for you, I'd never read this before, and one of the scholars pointed this out, and I thought this was really powerful. Did you know of all the fundraising letters that the Apostle Paul wrote? There is only evidence, biblically, of one church ever sending him funding. And that was Lydia at the church of Philippi. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't mean other churches didn't do it. But Lydia is on record as the only church leader that sent Paul financial partnership from the very first day up until the last days of his ministry. This meeting with Lydia was a very, very special God-ordained meeting. And her origin story, how she comes to faith in Christ, is pretty powerful. You ever met somebody? And I'm telling you, the day that you met them, um, you had no idea how special that relationship would end up being. I can still remember the day that Autumn and I had our first real interaction. We'd made eye contact before, uh, but I had set up a meeting in the church office that she was working in uh, with the college minister. Autumn was the one female intern uh, for 1,600 college students on, on Thursday nights at a deal called Paradigm at First Baptist Church in Lubbock. And I remember I walked in the office to meet with Strap, and there was this beautiful girl sitting behind the desk and uh, I remember I walked in and this is 2003 it was not cool then it's not cool now Um, but uh, the pound was just starting to be a thing all right and so I remember I walked past her desk and the first interaction Autumn and I ever had we married 17 years in January and the first interaction we had is I walked by and go hey pounded and I leaned over like that that was my line that was my move Oh, my gosh. Okay, it just shows you the Lord can work in all things, people, all right? Even a really awful pounded move, all right? So all that to say, say pounded, she grins ear to ear, her trademark beautiful smile, and the rest is history. Four kids, a church plant, moved to D.C. later, I'm telling you. Uh, But it all started, the origin story for us was that moment. Uh, Here with Lydia. Lydia uh, connects with God, and this is her origin story of how she comes to know Almighty God. Every believer in Jesus Christ has an origin story, and we call that your testimony. So here's the big question we're going to address today. Where are you in your spiritual journey? 
in the story of your testimony, where are you in your spiritual journey? We're going to give you four categories today, and every single one of you in this room should fall into one of these four categories, all right? So I want you to kind of figure out where you're at. This would almost be like a pretest, just to let you know, did you ever take the pretest before you took the SAT or before you took the ACT or before you took a, a, a final exam or you take that pretest? This is one of those pretests to kind of figure out where you're at, what you need to work on, and I want to encourage each of you today. Uh, to figure out where you are in your spiritual journey as we look at the journey of Lydia. Now flip over to Acts 16, and we're going to start in verse 11. Here's the story of Lydia. It says, so from Troas, we put out, and by the way, underline that word we, that word we is important there. Um, Most scholars believe uh, that uh, Luke is the one that's writing the book of Acts. And so at the beginning of Acts 16, we've got Paul, then we have Paul and Silas, Then we have Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And now all of a sudden we have this beautiful little word, we. That means that Luke most likely is a part of their journey as well. They're adding people as they go all these different places. So it's it's Luke, Paul, uh, Silas, and Timothy. So we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi. Underline and highlight to Philippi. A Roman colony and the leading city in the district of what? The district of... Of Macedonia, underline Macedonia, and we stayed there for several days. The reason that part is important, the journey part is important, is remember, Paul tried to go into Asia, the Spirit of God said not to go. Paul tries to go into another part of Asia, and the Lord throws up the wall again and says, it's not time to go that way. Then he has that dream, remember we studied about two weeks ago, and in the dream, there's a man in Macedonia that says, come and help us. A man who was in distress in that dream says, come and help us. Well, here's what's happened. Paul has followed that vision. They've ended up in Macedonia, and now they are spiritually with their ears up, with their eyes up, looking around to figure out why it is that God has sent them there. Look at verse 13. It says, On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. Look at this. Where we expected to find a place of prayer. Underline where we expected. That word expected is a powerful word in this passage. We expected to find a place of prayer. But when we sat down, we began to speak to the women. Underline to the women who were gathered there. And one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. Underline who was a worshiper of God. Now stop right there for just a minute. The whole story begins with a whole bunch of little tells that Paul is moving into a situation where God works in ways when we absolutely least expect it. In this passage, it's so interesting. Remember, he has a dream that he's supposed to go to Macedonia because there's a man there that needs his help. The location of Macedonia is not what Paul expected. He wanted to go to Asia. When they go down by the riverside, they expected to find a place of prayer. There's a difference between a prayer meeting and a place of prayer, as one of the scholars points out. He thinks that he's going to find a gathering of a Jewish tabernacle or Jewish temple down there by the river, and instead he finds a gathering of women. What had Paul seen in his vision? He had seen a man that needed his help. It's a location he doesn't expect. It's not a prayer. It's not a temple gathering. It's a prayer meeting of 10 women who gathered to pray by the water. And it's not a man in Macedonia who needed his help. It's a group of women that he would speak to one specifically named Lydia. Don't miss this before we jump into the lesson today. God loves to move in ways that we least expect or anticipate. 
He comes in thinking it's going to be one way. But a disciple has to understand when the Lord stirs and when the Lord moves in a different manner, we roll with the punches and we do what he's called us to do. What the Lord is about to do is set up a partnership for the ages between Paul and Lydia and those people in Philippi. If you're taking notes, where are you in your spiritual journey? Are you ready for this? Number one, first and foremost, number one is being a seeker or seeking answers. In her spiritual journey, it says that Lydia has a good job. She's a dealer in purple. Purple symbolized that she was basically like a designer for royalty. Uh, She took care of something. She was very trustworthy. There were lots of people uh, who could buy and sell uh, expensive cloth, but she's one who was trusted for her quality, for her hard work, and for her reputation. She's a dealer in purple. Uh, By the way, this is also pretty cool uh, for, uh, for, uh, uh, for many of you women who are studying this passage today. It's pretty powerful. It is not pointed out if Lydia is a widow or if she is a self-made woman. The reason that it's left open, I truly believe, is because it can fit wherever it is that you sit in your circumstances today. God can use anyone to do powerful things, especially powerful women of Almighty God. Amen? It's a beautiful passage for us to get to study and to get to see this. Here is this woman who is seeking answers. It says that she is a worshiper of God. Now, the point there is not that she has become a Jew or that she is somebody uh, who is following Jesus. The picture there by worshiper of God is that she is somebody who has decided, even though with her Greek name Lydia, she has decided there are things out there that I don't understand and I am waiting for the being, I am waiting for God to reveal to me who he is so that I can follow him. So she gathered by the river uh, with this group of women and she's waiting for the Lord to call out to her heart. This idea of someone's seeking answers is someone who becomes understanding that there is a void within us that needs to be filled. One of my favorite examples of that, by the way, uh, in popular culture is always the story of Charlie Brown. Uh, Charlie Brown Christmas is one of my favorite movies of all time, made in 1965. Uh, But the whole story of Charlie Brown, do you realize this? He's a seeker. He's the kid that feels incomplete on every level, and he's constantly searching for answers. Charlie Brown Christmas is the one uh, that really does point this out to us. Do you remember? He's sitting with Linus, and all of a sudden he says, I just don't get it, Linus. I don't get what Christmas is all about. You remember how the story begins to unfold? What he's really saying there has nothing to do with Christmas. He's saying, I really don't know why I feel empty this time of year. Everyone else seems happy, like they have it together, and I just feel this void on the inside of my soul. I'm seeking answers for why there's this void. So he goes to Lucy, probably the worst psychiatrist in the history of the world, all right? Drops his nickel in. You get what you pay for, all right? Drops the nickel in there. And do you remember? He looks at Lucy and says, I just don't get it. There's this void in my spirit. What's it mean? What's it mean? And she goes, you know what you need, Charlie Brown? You need involvement. You just need to get real busy, Charlie Brown, and then you won't have time to worry about that void in the middle of your spirit. I'll tell you what else you need, Charlie Brown. You need to be a big shot. Climb the corporate ladder. Let's have you be the director of the Christmas play. We'll get you real busy. We can have you climb the corporate ladder. You can start being a big shot, have authority over others, and that'll fill that void in the middle of your soul. Fast forward 15 minutes into the presentation, and what happens? He's busier than he's ever been. And he's also just as empty as he's ever been. And he looks at her and he goes, I still don't get it. I still feel empty. I still feel the void. Why do I feel this way? And you remember she goes, I just need to buy more stuff. Just go buy us a Christmas tree, right? He goes out there. There's all these big trees, but all he can afford is that little busted tree. You remember? It's symbolic of his life. 
lifts it up, the pine needles fall off, people laugh at it. I'm telling you, Charlie Brown looks and he goes, this is all I can afford. This is it. He's empty. In other episodes, he's in love with that little red-haired girl that he always talks about, but you never really seem to see. Remember, you can only see the back or the side of her head. He just never can connect with that right relationship. Remember, he tries to kick the football. What if he had the athletic ability? What if he was popular because of what he could do athletically? But Lucy always seems to pull that football away. It's just out of reach. The kid can't even fly a kite. He just tried to enjoy nature. But he can't even do that. The tree. Remember the symbolic symbolism of the tree eating the kite? I mean, even nature is at war with this poor little kid. He can't seem to do anything right. And then the part that's the saddest to me is every time he leaves, his baseball team wins a game. He just wants to be on a winning team. I mean, you think about this. It's all culminating with Charlie Brown going, man, involvement, authority, the right stuff, the right relationships, athletic ability, being right with nature, just being a part of a team having a family i mean i'm telling you do you ever see other than his sister any family for charlie brown no he's alone he's symbolic of each and every one of us because there's nothing that can fill that void but jesus so all of a sudden it comes to a head in charlie brown christmas he looks at linus as they laugh at him over the tree remember it's his life and they laugh at him and he goes i just don't get it linus I guess I'll never know what Christmas is all about. I guess I'll never know what fills that void. And then he looks to heaven where they do the thing where you can just see his mouth. He looks to heaven and he goes, isn't there anybody who knows what Christmas is all about? Isn't there anybody who knows what can fill this void in my soul? And I love that they pick Linus to be the one to share the gospel with him. The kid with the security blanket and his thumb in his mouth. It's symbolic of fallible man with infallible gospel. He says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what fills that void. And he walks to the center, and he calls for the lights, and the spotlight drops, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And he shares that beautiful passage from Luke 2, that unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ. After sharing Jesus to the seeker, Linus then steps out of the shadow, steps out of the spotlight, back into the shadows, puts his thumb back in his mouth, his security blanket over his shoulder, And he walks out and says, that's the answer, Charlie Brown. That's what fills the void. And do you remember the scene? It always makes me cry. He's holding the tree and he has to decide, is he going to receive the message or not? And he steps out into the darkness. He's thinking it over, but he's not received it yet. Do you remember when he stops and he looks up at the stars in the heavens and he reflects over the world, over the words of Linus? Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And you watch him. He smiles. And then he skips off into the night. He receives it. And he is saved. A seeker? A seeker is someone who says, I just don't know. I know there has to be something. There's not a single one of you in this room sitting here today or even watching online that's not a seeker. There are other things you could have been doing today. Way great brunches in this city you could be going to. Now listen. But you're here. Why? Because you are cognizant of that void. Because you are cognizant of all the things in this world. And there are so many things to try and fill the void in this city. But you were made for Jesus. And he was sent for you. If you're taking notes, you don't take anything else away from today. Write this down. Are you ready? Hardworking, successful, driven, moral, popular people are still incomplete without Jesus. Let me say that again. Hardworking, successful, 
driven, moral, popular people are still incomplete without Jesus. Jesus highlights why in John chapter 15 for us. Save your spot there in Acts 16. But look with me, if you will, at John chapter 15. And I want to read verse 5 to you. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, he can do nothing. The picture here is both for believers and non-believers. Apart from Jesus, there is no life, period. But for those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, who have found yourself feeling empty again, you got to remember, we got to go back to the vine. We got to go back to the thing that provides us with nutrients, that allows us to bear fruit, that allows us to live a life of purpose and meaning. Whether you are here seeking answers today as, a, as someone seeking faith in Christ for the first time, or you are someone who has believed in Jesus, but you've drifted away and you still feel that emptiness, He is the vine. We are the branches. If we remain in Him, we will bear much fruit apart from him we can do nothing we are a shriveled branch without him it begs the question are you looking for life today are you looking for life today for someone seeking jesus for the first time are you looking for eternal life today you'll find it nowhere but him and then for those of you are you looking for life again renewed to be spiritually renewed today you'll find it nowhere but jesus Now flip back over to Acts 16, and let's look at the next part of Lydia's story. Acts 16, verse 14. Here's what it says. Again, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple from the city of Thyatira, uh, who was a worshiper of God. Now watch this. This is so powerful. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Circle, highlight, and underline that the Lord is the one who opened her heart. Lydia doesn't follow Jesus just because she wants to. There is a moment here where there's a supernatural element to it where her heart is opened so that she can receive the message. Some of you here today have someone in your life, a friend or a relative, a neighbor that you love so deeply, a co-worker, and you want them to know God the same way that you do. You need to know this. There is something supernatural about a relationship with Jesus Christ and from the mouth of Jesus himself no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draweth him. Every true believer in Jesus Christ has a moment where this wasn't a decision made by your parents, made by the culture, made by the church you grew up in, but where you decide God has called me and my heart is open to receive the message of Jesus. If you're taking notes, write this down. Where are you in your spiritual journey? Number one is seeking answers and number two is saved. Saved is that moment where your heart is open and you choose to say yes to Jesus. When you choose eternity with God in heaven instead of eternity separated from God in hell. If you're taking notes, write this down. An open heart takes an act of God. Let me say that again. An open heart takes an act of God. For those of you wanting someone in your life that you care for deeply to be saved... Pray specifically every stinking day, God, open their heart to receive the message. You can't make anybody get saved. Guys, I love to preach. But you know what I learned? This was pretty crazy. I got to see it. I'd always known this, but I got to watch it on full display when I got to preach that camp at Falls Creek. We had hundreds of kids come forward to get saved in one single week. And can I tell you what I learned that week? I would walk up. To kids, when we would see them out kind of in the community out there, there were 6,000 kids there that week for camp. 
And I'd see these kids out in the open, and I'd go, hey, how's it going? You learning stuff this week? And they'd go, yep, Pastor Zach, I'm getting saved tonight. And I'd say, we can get saved right now. They go, no, no. They go, I believed in Jesus Christ before, but I'm going forward tonight so that we can celebrate with our group. I said, that's incredible. We would watch this draw of salvation in the evenings, but the kids had already made the decision previously. My role was just to ask so that then they could celebrate in that moment. When it comes to your belief in Jesus Christ, the Lord has to open your heart. You sit back in faith and believe, and he provides the faith so that you can be saved. You still make the decision, but he's the one who provides the faith so that you can make that decision. That happened for me in my life. When I was five years old, my testimony... And by the way, some of you have heard it before. It doesn't change. It just is what it is, all right? When I was five years old, my dad was the pastor of our church. And I'll never forget, he presented the gospel, shared about the unpardonable sin in the book of Matthew. And he says again, if you want to be saved, now is the time. End of the service, just like we do here. And I remember thinking in my head, I don't want to go to hell. I'm five years old. And I remember thinking, I don't want to go to hell. And so I made my way down to the front. And this wonderful woman, one of my Sunday school teachers, catches me. And she goes, hey, young man, what are you doing down here? And I go, I I don't want to go to hell. She goes, well, let me ask you a few questions. She said, do you believe in Jesus? I said, I think so. She said, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for all your sin? I said, yes, ma'am, and I meant it. She said, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? I said, yes, ma'am, and I meant it. And she said, do you believe he gloriously rose again on the third day? And with my mouth, I said, yes, ma'am. But with my heart and mind, I went, I don't know. Can somebody actually raise from the dead? But I'd said the magic words. Now, don't miss this. Every believer struggles with doubt. Disbelief will send you to hell. Disbelief is choosing not to sit back in faith. Doubt is going, Lord, I don't get it. I don't fully understand it, but I do believe that you are the one in control. And I sit back until I fully understand that truth. I sit back and I believe. Disbelief is going, I don't know. It's foundational. It's critical. In fact, it says, Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, without the resurrection, we are the worst of fools. It's Paul's own words. You don't believe the resurrection, you're not saved. But I've just said the magic words. Yep, I believe. Even though in my heart and mind, I know that I don't. And so all of a sudden, because I'm the preacher's kid, the woman looks down at me and she goes, we've been praying for this day since you were a little boy. And I'm thinking, oh, no. (laughs) Now, we don't do this to you, but they do this to preacher's kids. All of a sudden, they take me up on the stage. We don't do that. You make a decision for Christ's sake. Nobody's going to march you up here. All right, I promise you. But I'm the preacher's kid. So they march me up on stage and my dad looks down at me and he goes, son, we've been praying for this day since before you were born. And I'm like, oh, no, what have I done? All of a sudden he goes, we got to get you baptized. I'm like, oh, dunk. No. Right. All of a sudden I've been baptized. I've gone through this stuff and I've proclaimed faith in Christ, even though I know the truth in my heart. My heart was not open to receive it that day. Did you know I actually taught classes on how to be saved before I was even a Christian? Every time I would sit in the services and I would feel this fist of conviction in my gut, I knew I had not believed. Fast forward five years. I go to a youth camp. It's one of the reasons why youth camps are so special to me. I go to a youth camp, Camp Chaparral in Iowa Park, Texas. My dad gets up and he was our preacher that week. 
He preaches the same sermon that I had heard when I was five. We preachers re-preach stuff sometimes. Megan, your dad, sometimes I know he does it too, right? It's all of us. Okay. He gets up to preach. It's the same message, but something happens. My heart was open. And that day, it wasn't my dad preaching to a crowd. It was the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. It was time to sit back and believe. So the time of invitation came at the end. I was the very first one down, and my cousin Zane Newton, Zane was the youth minister at First Baptist Church in Altus, Oklahoma. Zane catches me right on the corner, right here, Judy, kind of where you're sitting. He catches me, and he goes, whoa, whoa. He goes, what are you doing, young man? He said, I thought you already saved. And Zane would later tell me, he said, what you said that day is he said, you, he said, you told me, I want Jesus, I want him so bad. He sits down, and we prayed right there on that corner seat. We prayed, and that was the day that Christ became my Lord and Savior. I want to tell you, the Lord opens the heart. There's nothing you can do to make someone get saved. There's nothing I could ever preach. There's no story I could ever tell to make you get saved. But when the Lord opens your heart and you feel that tug, we have no option but to say yes. And he provides the life. He becomes the vine. And all of a sudden, that void is filled. By the way, you can't get mad at people that don't receive it. I shared this verse with you on Easter, but I want to share it again. It's a powerful verse if you have someone in your life that you're sharing faith with and they're not receiving it. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. If they're not receiving it, you have to remember this. Are you ready? Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How do you get from foolishness to it being the defining characteristic in your life. You can't get there on your own. You can't get there through a preacher like me or even somebody as powerful as Billy Graham or Louis Giglio. You can't get there on your own. It takes an act of Almighty God. He opens Lydia's heart. And for Paul, that was the whole reason that he was sent. God said, don't go to Asia. Don't go this direction. You gotta go here. I'm gonna provide a vision for you. You gotta go here because Lydia is that important. She's ready to receive this message she's ready to be saved so where are you in your spiritual journey seeking answers and for some of you today is it the first time God has opened your heart and you need to believe and be saved it begs the question is your heart open to respond today is your heart open to respond today now look at Acts 16 let's flip back over and look at verse 15 Acts 16 15 it says so when she and the members of her household were baptized. Underline when she and the members of her household were baptized. She invited us to her home. Stop right there for just a minute. After she receives the message, it's the very next thing that's provided here is that she and the members of her household were baptized. If you're taking notes, write that down. Where are you in your spiritual journey? Number one is seeking answers. Number two is saved. And number three is baptized. Every single time in Scripture that baptism is mentioned, it is after a person's salvation experience. Now, just for the record, before you go, Pastor, you're getting real denominational. I don't know what denomination Waterfront is, but it sounds real denominational. I just want to ask you this. Go back and do the research. There's not one example of baptism in Scripture that happens before a person's salvation experience. It's always after. Why? Because baptism doesn't save you. The best example of that is the thief on the cross. 
when Jesus looks at the man who cries out, we're sinners, we deserve to be up here, and the man cries out, Jesus, when you get to your kingdom, would you just remember my name? What that man has done in that moment is claim that he's a sinner, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that Jesus is the one who can save him. That's the, that's the gospel in a nutshell. So what happens? Jesus then goes, well done, dude. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Someone get a bucket. we got to baptize him. That's not what happens. Why? Because baptism is an outward symbol of an inward change. Your baptism is what we call your public profession of faith. It's you saying, I'm saved and I don't care who knows it. Now here's the deal. If you were baptized, something called baptism when you were younger, your parents can't make you saved. The magic water doesn't make you saved. Belief in Jesus Christ is what saves you. What your parents did for you was beautiful. They are saying to the congregation, to those witnesses present, we're going to do everything within our power to put the gospel in front of our child so that when the Lord calls out to them, when their heart is open, they are able to receive the message of Jesus. A baptism? Baptism is you saying, I'm saved and I don't care who knows it. I was one way before and I am one way now. It was so important that Jesus, even though without sin, he himself submitted himself to baptism. On that day, John looks at him, the dude doing the baptism, and he goes, I'm not even worthy to untie your sandals. I'm not, even worried to, I'm not even worthy to touch your stinky feet and to take care of you. I'm not even worthy of that. And Jesus says, you must do this to fulfill all things. It's a step of obedience. Do you know that we baptize more than 100 people here at Waterfront? Unbelievable. Less than seven-year-old church. Did you know that more than 90% of those we baptized have been adults? More than 90%. Nationwide averages, it's not even close. Do you know why? Because we've come across a lot of people in their spiritual journey that said, you know what? I was a seeker and then I got saved. But baptism, I've always just kind of pushed it off to the side. It's something I figured that was for younger people and not for someone who was an adult. We actually have one of the oldest people in our church to be baptized right here on the front row. Three days before Scott's 60th birthday, Scott was baptized. Such an important experience. When we went to buy the baptistry that we baptized in, their family donated the money for the baptistry. My testimony is after I got saved, I didn't want to be baptized again because I was afraid what everybody was going to think. I was 10, and I thought I was too old to be baptized. (laughs) Now listen to me. Five years after that moment at Camp Chaparral, I go to Falls Creek in Oklahoma. There were 8,000 kids there that week at camp. Uh, Annie, your dad was camp director that year. I'll never forget, I'm at the camp, and Zane Newton, who was the youth minister at First Baptist Altos, Oklahoma, the one I'd prayed with to receive Christ, all of a sudden, Zane, on the Wednesday night of youth camp, comes up to me and he goes, Hey, dude, did you ever get baptized? Well, for five years, I had felt this fist of conviction that that was something I was supposed to do, but nobody had really asked me about it. My Aunt Peg asked me one time, and I lied and said I didn't think I should do that. I just moved forward past it, but Zane asked me in that moment, and then all of a sudden, just like that day at Camp Chaparral, I broke, and I said, I've got to do this. The Lord's been on me for years. I've got to take care of this thing. Zane very powerfully then said, you've waited too long. He said, let's do it right now. I said, what? 
we were at a camp called Nani Chaha at the top of Falls Creek. It's where the staff stays now. They used to have this swimming pool up there, and it had a smiley face and tiles at the bottom. It may still have it. They haven't used that pool in years, and so there's just dirt all over the bottom of it. That's the true story, isn't it? Okay, all that to say. Smiley face and tiles. There was another young man named Derek Benton that night from Kansas. Derek Benton and I, at midnight, they woke up our whole section of camp. There were 300 kids from First Baptist Altus there that year. They woke up the group, and at midnight, I was baptized in that swimming pool there. And can I tell you what's weird? There's nothing magic about the water. But because it's that first step of obedience, salvation is the one that decides eternity, believing in Jesus. But step two in your spiritual journey is baptism. Once I come up out of the water, there's nothing magical about it. But it was like this weight was lifted. And then God could take me on step three through a million in my spiritual journey with him. I've shared that testimony over the years, especially here at Waterfront. And there have been many who've come up afterwards and said, I need to take care of this. Many of them older than the age of 50. I want to encourage you. If that's the next step in your journey, take it. God's got a whole bunch of stuff in store for you. It begs the question, are you ready? Um, Do you need to be baptized? Do you need to be baptized? If that's you, I'm not going to push, shove, or persuade. All I can do is tell you my story. And if your heart is open to it, we had several that raised their hand last service that they needed to do this. I want to encourage you, make that decision today. We're not going to baptize you today. We're just going to schedule it, all right? Somebody like, I didn't bring a change of clothes. All right, we're not going to do it, okay? We'll just get it on the schedule. This is pretty cool, too. I think I may have said this earlier. It blends together what you say in services when you have to preach different ones. TJ this week is going to get to baptize six. Did I tell you that already? We're baptizing six kids on Wednesday night in the student area. Moving on. Look with me at Acts chapter 16, verse 15, and we'll close out today. It says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, she said, look at this. Come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now stop right there for a minute. I love it because it says that the Lord is the one, not Paul, that persuades her to be saved, that opens her heart. But she here is the one that persuades Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke that they can partner with her in ministry. She desires to jump in and to serve. And that's the last step that we're going to talk about today in Lydia's journey. Number one is they're seekers. Number two, they're saved. Number three, you're baptized. And number four, you are saved serving. That's the next step in a disciple's journey. Um, To quote the great philosopher Lumiere from Beauty and the Beast, all right? Life is so unnerving for a servant who's not serving, all right? You remember that? That's the candlestick, right, in uh, in the Beauty and the Beast movies. You remember that? He says, life is so unnerving for a servant that's not serving. That's not just biblical. That's just the way that it goes. There are some of you who come in today, and that emptiness that you feel is because you sit there and you go, man, I went through a stretch where I was connected to God. I was saved. I was baptized. I was a seeker. I was lost, but now I'm found. I'm blind, but now I see. And you sit there and go, but why am I as a believer in Jesus Christ still feeling that twinge of feeling incomplete? It's because a believer in Jesus Christ was made to serve. God created you in advance, advance, it says in Ephesians, to do good works. Those good works don't save you. They help you become who God made you to be. Belief in Christ is all that saves us. But serving, serving is what fills your cup. It's why Denver came up to us last minute. We needed some help with this mission trip. And Denver came up and he was like, can I please go to Slovakia? And I was like, dude, that means you're out two Sundays. He goes, 
Megan's a way better singer than me anyway, all right? He goes, just please, can I do this? Please, can I do this? And you can see it in his eyes. He took his Sundax, fills your cup when you serve. Isn't that weird that you could go into a work trip and it could fill your cup? Pretty cool story, and they'll get to watch this. Denver's son Dax shared his testimony for the very first time this week, and a student in Slovakia came to Christ after Dax shared his testimony. First time that's ever happened for their family. Such a special moment. When we make the decision as believers, I got to work on me, me first, and then with what I have left over, I'll take care of whatever it is that God wants me to do. Remember, the tithe comes out first. That's not just about money and giving, it's about time. When you give to God, it fills your cup. I don't know how it works that way. It just does. And when you're not serving, when it's about you, you just end up hollow. No amount of stuff can fill it. No deep relationship, no connections, no networking can fill it. Life is unnerving for a servant that's not serving. You got to plug in and trust the Lord. It begs the final question today. How invested are you in the movement? I'm not talking about waterfront. I'm talking about faith. How invested are you in the movement? When's the last time you truly gave of your time and your resources unselfishly for the kingdom of God? Not for yourself, not so you could meet people, not so that you could feel good about yourself, but truly so that you could give back to God because he gave everything to you. How invested are you in the movement? I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. Uh, Fun stories to get to go through. And Lydia's a hero, isn't she? What a cool and powerful story. Let's bow our heads for prayer.